Hey guys, thanks for swinging by our podcast today. We hope this message leaves you encouraged and filled with hope and that Christ and His goodness is meeting your every need. I'll be in uh, Song of Songs 4 this morning. Good, Bob? Okay. (laughs) Amen. You know, the first time April and I, April introduced me to that song we just sang, uh, We Need a Move. And first time, I, I, we, I don't know, we listened to it like for five days straight, probably longer than that, just over and over and over at our house. And uh, we really do need a move of God. There's a, there's a lot writing on it. There's a lot writing on it. There's... there's um, there's a lot at stake. I hope by now that we see that this is more than just coming to church. <laughs> what the Lord is really inviting us into is a lifestyle. See, see if, if it was just about coming to a church, I, I th- this is necessary to what we're doing. But if it was just about this, the moment you signed your name to a membership list, it, that would be all that was necessary. But what he's doing is he's inviting us into a lifestyle where we follow him and we walk with him. That's what he desires more than absolutely anything. And so that's really been the kind of the prayer of this of a series of, of working through Song of Songs. And uh, this week I caught myself on Tuesday said, Lord, are you sure you want me to keep going? And I was like, because it's been, this will be the seventh, uh, seventh week and we're only halfway through. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, but the Lord just very, really, really made it clear. Just keep going. And this morning we're, we're going to look up probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible in Song of Songs 4, 9, but I'm, I'm hoping by now that we're starting to get the revelation that you are beloved. And I actually saw, I actually saw, um, um, uh, Linda, she couldn't be here today, but I saw Linda this week. She put on Facebook, she, she just put for her status, I am beloved. And I just, and like, it just melted my heart seeing her put that. And, and because that is in reality who we are. And you've heard me say, it's, it's not that I'm a pastor. It's not that I'm a husband. And it's not that I'm a, a husband, a dad, and then a pastor. It's, it's not that. It's, it's that I'm beloved. And that's the most important thing about me. And that's why John, that is why John, who wrote the book of John, <laughs> that is why he didn't even refer to himself in the gospel that he wrote. He referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He identifies as beloved. And, and which, if you don't have the proper perspective, sounds really arrogant, except for when you have the perspective that when the most important thing about you is that you're loved, then that absolutely changes everything. And I've, I've said this, but I believe the reason why John the Beloved was able to see and do the things that he did. See, John, he had all kinds of extra uh, uh, curricular activities he got to do, right? He was actually, uh, he was invited to the Mount of Transfiguration. Why? I believe because he identified as Beloved. He was one that had his head pressed up against Jesus' chest. 
Uh, why? Because he identified as beloved. He's the one in the book of Revelation that uh, had the come up here revelation. He was invited into the heavenly of heavenlies. He was invited into this place that, that, that few are ever invited to. Why? Because I believe because he identified as beloved. And, and, and I used to want to be like this, ah, type of guy. And, and I'm, learning that, I'm learning that I appreciate that and I love that. But what I'm really learning is the value of just identifying as beloved because everything else comes out of that position. It, and and what's, what's fascinating is, is like, like, I feel like I'm on this journey with you all. I, I feel like, like as we're doing this, the Lord is changing me. April just looked at me the other night. It was actually, I think it was yesterday. She just looked at me and says, you don't seem as disconnected or anxious as you have been. And what it is, is I'm getting more rooted in this and less concerned with this. Now, this is, this is a concern, but I'm just more caught up with what he's doing in the moment and if I can get caught up in what he's doing, a lot of the stuff that normally eats our lunch, those things seem inconsequential. And, and, and if I'm convinced that he absolutely loves and adore me, then I can look at like something like Matthew chapter 6 when it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I can read that and think, that is a promise for me because he loves me. I'm not going to go without food on my table. I'm not going to go with money on my, in my bank account. I'm going to be okay, right? That's when I can look at stuff and, 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 uh, and, and pray that sickness begins to leave because I believe that he loves me. It changes everything. And I actually think he loves us this is where I think we are right now. I think he loves us too much not to actually send a full-blown revival. Now, when he doesn't send it, I think it's for multiple reasons. I think, one, we, we, we've got to take care of some stuff to, so that we can handle it correctly when it actually shows up. But I think part of the time that he doesn't send it is because we're not ready for him to send it. Because if we're not rooted in this beloved identity... If you're not rooted in that, then it would be irresponsible of God to give it to you because then you're going to think it's us is the reason why it's happening. You're going to think it's because we're a little bit free in our worship. You're going to think it's because it appears we don't have a lot of structure. We actually have quite a bit of structure that we operate with. But you're, we're going to think it's because we do this, that, or the other rather than a sovereign outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, but so, so then is it based on my works or is it based because I decided to sit at his feet, which is the better thing? This is good. This is all new to me too. So <laughs> this is coming. All right. So let's read four, nine and, and like, I'm, I'm just going to, we're going to use four, nine to kind of catapult, catapult into some other places in scripture. But 4.9 is by far one of my most favorite verses in all of the Bible. And this is, this is the bridegroom king speaking to the Shulamite woman, all right? This is, this is King Jesus speaking to his church, as if you could look at it that way. It says, you have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You have made my heart beat, beat faster with a single glance of your eyes. With a single strand of your necklace. I'm going to read it again in the Passion. It says, For you reach into my heart with one flash of your eyes. I am undone by your love. 
My beloved, my equal, my bride, you leave me breathless. I'm overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes. For you have stolen my heart, and I'm held hostage by your love and the, gracious, and the graces of righteousness shining upon you. You've made my, I know, <laughs> you have made my heart beat faster. Like we can identify with that. Like when you first fall in love, your, your heart beats faster. And like, I hope it still beats fast for the one that you're in love with, right? But your heart beats faster when you're around them. You get the, the butterflies in your stuff. Like I see people wanting to elbow their loved one next to them. But, <laughs> but anyway, you're, you get butterflies in your stomach. You start to feel these feelings and you're not really sure. You just know that you're sick. And he says to her, <coughs> you've made my heart beat faster, which that's crazy. <laughs> it is. You have made my heart beat faster. That phrase was actually really hard to translate. And so it, it translates, it could mean you made my heart beat faster. It could translate as you have stolen my heart. It could be translated as you have ravished my heart. Essentially, it's, it's like his heart, he just took it and he grabbed it, or she took it and grabbed it and he would not let go. And it's, it's just this picture. And, 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 and I would believe that if we could really get so rooted in this beloved identity that we would understand that with one glance of her eyes, he goes, <gasps> and, 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 and I'm going to show you here in just a little bit that I, I, if we could get the, I believe the truth down that with one glance, no, it doesn't say with multiple glances, it doesn't like some like like sometimes like our significant other may have played hard to get for a while, right? Like it's not that way with him. It's not that way with him. He, he doesn't. He doesn't like. I get that there's times we have to continue to seek, and we just sang about that a few minutes ago. But with him, with a single glance, it ravishes his heart. It's like when your significant other walks across the room and, and you look and they catch you looking at them, right? You're just, you're just caught up in their beauty. Like, like, like it just stops him in his tracks. And what would it look like if we came to a revelation that every time that I look at him, his heart skips a beat? You know what? I think it would actually cause us to want to look at him a little bit more. And then it calls me want to look at them a little bit more. I'm going to sneak as many peeks as I possibly can because it ravishes his heart because he finds pleasure in that. It's like, like, look, like I know, I know he wants us to serve. I know he wants us to do stuff. But if you look at, at Luke, what is it? Luke, Luke 10, you look at the story of Mary and Martha. Uh, or Matt, Mark 10. I'm, anyway, it's in there somewhere in the New Testament. When you look at the story of, of Mary and Martha, one is doing a good thing. She's doing ministry, making him sandwiches that he never even asked for. And one is sitting at his feet, gazing upon him, listening to everything he says. And Jesus responds when, when, when Martha gets upset and says, tell my sister to help me out, right? She wasn't doing something bad, but Jesus said, 
says, you don't understand what she's doing is better. And what she's doing will not be taken away from her. And what if we could be a people that just give our life at sitting at his feet? I actually believe it would serve as an invitation for others to do the exact same thing. Yeah, he sees you when he serves. Like, like when you serve him, he sees you. When I preach, he sees me preaching. When y'all lead worship, he sees you leading worship. But that's not what captivates his heart. What captivates his heart is when you get alone with him and you look at him when no one else is looking. The pro- I'll do, let me be, there's a lot of preachers in this church. But, but you know what the biggest problem with people in ministry is? Is that we think... You see, we, I'll use myself, we think that this is how we earn God's approval, which is the biggest load of crud I've ever heard in my life. Where you earn his, it's not even his approval, but where you love him is when you get alone when no one's looking. Like if you, if, if, if we took all of this away, it would not decrease anyone's value that serves in a position. It would not whatsoever. And, and so that's why, and like in this world, it's where people really struggle because we're like, I serve the poor, right? Or I served in a soup kitchen or, or, or we do all these things, which is really nauseating where we have to broadcast to the world because not only then do we think we're serving God doing something, then we want the whole world to see what we're doing. And it's just absolutely gross because it doesn't make him love you anymore and it doesn't make him love you any less and it does not capture his heart. That part was free, but it's the truth. Now, her beauty was so overwhelmed, so overwhelming that it actually robbed him of his senses. And, and I'll, in a few weeks, I'll, I'll probably go over this again because there's another thing. There's another, I think it's in chapter 6. I'll, let me, I'll just look at it. It's chapter 6. Yeah, out of here. It's chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. He says, this is the bridegroom. He says, turn your eyes away from me for they are confusing me. That's 6-5. So not only does it ravish his heart when, when she looks at him or when the bride looks at him, he actually gets to the point, he gets so overwhelmed. He's like, just, just I, can't, I can't take it anymore. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Her beauty was so overwhelming that it robbed him of his senses. Psalm 33.1 says this. It, it says, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. It actually means praise looks good on you. Righteousness looks good on you. And so... When we worship, is worship good because they're all singing in the right key? Or is worship good because everyone in here that's given their life to Jesus is walking in righteousness and the sound of a righteous one is actually beautiful? What if it has nothing to do with style? What if it has nothing to do with how long we sing? What if it has nothing to do with how many times we sing words that aren't up on the screen? What if it has everything to do with us understanding how he has made you righteous. That's what overwhelms them. It's, it's just this absolutely beautiful thing. Now, righteousness is beautiful and righteousness is what ravishes his heart. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, one of our favorite verses is, He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't see your past sins. He doesn't see you as sin waiting to happen. He does not see our shortcomings. He, he does not see what is lacking, right? He doesn't see where you're deficient. He doesn't see, he doesn't see someone who isn't going to measure up. He doesn't see someone who's got, that may possibly make a mistake. What he sees is his own righteousness. He sees someone that's growing up into all things as he is and be made, being transformed from glory to glory to glory. And that's what he deems as beautiful. And I actually think it's this. Now, now when she glances at him, they do say that sometimes married people, the longer you're married, the more you look alike. And I know there's some guys that's probably better off. You're probably good having that happen. But as we look at him, we begin to look more like him. And, and as we look more like him, we demonstrate his nature and we demonstrate his character, which is righteousness. And if we could get a revelation that I'm beloved and that he actually, I, I, because I'm beloved, he has made me righteous, not because of my acts or not because of my deeds or not because I paid penance or not because I prayed so many Hail Marys or anything like that, but because of the blood of Christ Jesus, he's made me righteous. Then again, that changes the way we walk and talk. See, some of us, we struggle with this because every morning when you get up and you go and you brush your teeth, you're confronted with who you are when you look at yourself in the mirror. And, and most of the time we do this, like one, we either don't like the physical stuff we, we see or we don't like what we see that's not actually seen on the outside. But if we start to get a revelation of his righteousness that you are or, or, or that you've been made holy, that you've been made spotless, that you've been made without wrinkle or blemish, if you could get that, then you actually start to think that that makes you look better to him. Now, it's not faking it. It's not whatevering it. It's just accepting it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... It's like men, when your spouse goes and gets you some cologne, right? And you're like, put this on for you, honey, <laughs> right? And she smells, it, like, it, it makes you more attractive. I think when it comes to righteousness, when we begin to understand, I have this on for you, Lord. I have this on for you. It's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not something I have to muster up. It's something that he says, let me adorn you with this. You're right, it's imputed. It's something he just, he gives you. And so, so that's, that, that, so this would beg the question here. So like this, that truth right there ought to make you desire to live a holy life. <laughs> like, I mean... We're, we're technically a holiness church and a holiness denomination. It's not about buns and sleeve length. It's, it's not about any of those things. It's not about what we don't do. It's about what he's done in you. And, and, and so it's like, so, so 
I mean, I, I don't, there's a few things that I've said that like, I just flat out is wrong, but most people know exactly what sin is, and most people know what, like, they, they just, they know what they should or should not be doing. And so that's why I don't point out a lot of those things, because I think if I could get us to understand who he says we are, that all those things are going to begin to take care of ourselves. And, and like, and seriously, and I don't mean this mean, but nine times out of 10, when we counsel someone, you know what the counseling is? They believe the lie and they don't believe what the Lord says about them. We don't have sin problems. We have identity issues. And if we could begin to identify as righteousness or beloved, or if we, if we identified as that, I believe it would take care of everything else. Now, now the, the other thing is this. He doesn't want us to be afraid to approach him. Like, I know he's holy. Like, there should be the fear of the Lord, but God doesn't want you to be afraid to approach him. Like, you're, you're not going to be like, and just burst into flames, right? Or, or we will say stuff like that, oh, there's lightning. I'm probably, you know, but like if someone says something, you know, it's a lie, you back away, right? Like, like, like the, the Lord, I, I promise you, he does not desire us to be fearful of entering into his presence. And I actually think we can begin, I'm trying to correct myself even saying that. I actually believe He's wanting us to get out of the mindset of saying, I'm going to enter into his presence and to begin to enter into the mindset where I am always aware that I am always in his presence. It just happens that there's greater degree sometimes, uh, or there's either a greater awareness or there's moments like we happen, happen during worship for just those few moments where it's a greater level of it. And we become, it's like, oh, we're really aware of it. He doesn't want us to be afraid. And let's be honest, that most people are scared to death. Like, like it's one, I don't know what I'm going to say when I enter in. Or one, I don't know what I'm going to say when I talk to them, right? It's like some of us, we have hard enough time carrying on the conversation. That's why we like to text and just don't, it's done, we don't have to talk. But what am I going to do to a holy God? What am I going to say to him? What if it's not necessarily about saying anything? What if it's about gazing upon him and staring and beholding his beauty? And then he begins to broker forth transformation in your heart. Maybe if we've run out of things to say, maybe we just need to not worry about trying to say something and just shut up for a little bit and just, just look at them. <laughs> now, he says this. He says, you have ravished my heart or, or you have captured my heart or you've made my heart beat faster, my sister my bride. Let me explain this cultural peculiarity to you, okay? Because it's like someone's going, incest. Like, that's weird, right? That's not what's going on in this story. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. You can laugh because that's, that's, that has nothing to do with what he's saying in this statement. But when he says, my sister, it was a term that you would say to the one that you loved. It was in a term of affection, and it actually means this, and this, is, this has been hard for me to grasp and hard for me, like I still kind of squirm when I say this, but he, he says, with one flash of your eyes and the passion, he says, my beloved and my equal. And so, so it's like this, when, when two become one flesh, when two people get married, it's, 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 
If you have the wrong idea of biblical submission, you mess this all up. It's not about the man domineering his spouse. It's not. Because the Bible also says, and men love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? And he died for his church. So, so here's this picture. When he says, my sister, my bride, he says, my equal. He means two partners that are one. It's, it's co-union, if you will. It's not about one or the other. It's about two becoming one. So when he says this, he's affirming their unity. He's affirming their oneness, like John 17, that, Father, I pray that they become one as you and I are one. It's, 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 it's affirming that very thing. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's not saying, like, the whole idea that it's this or this or this. It, it's just stupid. We work together and we, we live together and we become one. It's like you two. It's not about who's in charge or who's not you both submit and yield to one another and you both do things together and that's what this is it's becoming more and more like him all right i think that's really cool the endearing term sister and spouse used of the shulamite depict an endear an enduring and permanent oneness. That is why when you pronounce man and wife in a wedding, you say, let no man separate what God has brought together. It's this. All right, Hebrews 4.16 says this, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, again, if, if you're terrified that he is this, this Wizard of Oz voice type of God that's waiting to just burn you with fire whenever you enter into his presence... If you're scared of that, you're never going to enter into those times of prayer. And listen, I'm not talking about God, thank you for this meal and, and bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm not talking about before I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I'm not talking about that kind of a prayer. I'm talking about you getting alone with him and actually talking to him and actually enjoying him. Okay, because when you do that, that's where you get a little weirded out or that's where people get afraid. It's like, I can't do that. What if I say the wrong thing? Again, if you have a vision of God where he says you're beloved, then he's not going to zap you because you said the wrong thing in prayer. He's not going to zap you because you, you prayed uh, 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 ineloquently, if you will. I don't even think that's a word, but uh, for our purposes, it makes sense. But, but he's, he's not going to get you for that stuff. He's actually going to be, I'm so thankful that you're here. And actually, my heart just skipped a beat because you look towards me. Like, if we could get that, it would, I, I think it would propel us into the secret place. I think it would cause us to get in our prayer closets. I think it would cause us to begin to cry out. I think it would cause us to begin to ask for more. The problem is, is that intimacy is difficult. Yes. Because we want a formula 
We, we like seriously, we, we are a formula driven people. Uh, let me look at a recipe on Pinterest and get do, 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 do. And, and by the time I'm done, like anyone can cook if you follow a recipe, I'm convinced of it because I can. But, but, but we're a people that want give me point A, give me point B, and those two put together equals C. If you give me that with God, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to pray the prayer, I'm going to put money in the plate, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to say hallelujah. I'm going to say thank you Lord I'm going to do that all at the right times and I'm going to punch my ticket to heaven and he desires so much more than that <coughs> and I know I've equated this a lot to marriage a lot but when it comes to having a relationship with a significant other there is nothing formulaic about it that's actually called manipulation by the way when you get like, if I came home with flowers and gave to my wife and she gave me a kiss and I had my mind, every time I give her flowers, she's going to give me a kiss. And so every day I brought her flowers to get that kiss. You can run with that, right? I get it. It becomes transactional. Sooner or later, she's going to get the idea that I'm doing this to manipulate her into doing something. When it comes to our relationship with God, it's not about doing this, this, this to equal this. I actually think this, this, and this. Let's say, let's say prayer. Let's say fasting and time in Scripture. Those aren't formulaic. But if we do them faithfully, they invite us into this place of, of just union. And that's what he's asking his church to come into. Now, it's easier. And again, like what we're trying to talk, it's easier to do one, two, three. But this is so much more worth it. This is so much more worth it. He's rather spontaneous. Like the Lord loves when we're spontaneous with him. And I think he, he loves to be spontaneous with us. The problem is, we, again, we just want things so rigid and structured. And I think we need that, but we operate in those confines. And, and, and I don't know how else to explain that other than saying we cannot be afraid to get into that place with him. <laughs> and all it takes is one glance. That's what's mind-boggling to me. One glance. Now, I say this. If his heart gets ravaged with one glance, what would it look like if we gave him a lifetime of glances? See, I think a lifetime of glances, that's when you start to get into like who are some of our heroes are of the faith, like John Wesley or 
Susanna Wesley, his mother, or Phineas Brzee, the founder of our denomination, or, or, or Charles Finney, who's my favorite evangelist of all time, right? When you start to do that, when you start to glance day after day, Catherine Coleman, when you start to glance moment after moment after moment after moment, then you start to see fruit manifested in day-to-day life. You see, this, this glancing at him, it was never intended. Like, this is where the desert fathers got it wrong. The desert fathers isolated themselves from the world to commune with God. But where they missed it is, it wasn't isolating to commune with God only. They were supposed to spend time with God so that it would begin to transform the world around them. And, and that is what we're called to do. What would it look like if we got a church that was so rooted in this beloved identity, right? That the whole church was glancing at him. Not just a few. Not, not, just the, not just the pastor. Not just the pastor's wife or not just a few that you think are on fire. But in your own way. Because it's going to look different for me than it is going to look for Bob. It's, it's going to, my glancing is going to look to, it looks, April and I were just, we talk a lot about how different we experience the Lord and, and how the Lord speaks to us. Like it's totally different. And so it's going to look different. Even the way we seek him, it looks a lot different. It doesn't matter what it looks like or how you go about doing it. Because again, you can't plan intimacy, but what matters is the fruit that comes from that intimacy. So what would it look like if we had an entire church that began to glance? And again, glancing is hard. Because I promise you, you've got a lot of other things trying to get your attention. It's like, I think... I think one of the most important things we have here, for instance, is those 30 minutes before church where we seek the Lord. And it's the easiest time for everyone or brother to get distracted. It's why when you go to read your Bible, it's why your phone rings. It's why when you go to read your Bible or when you go to pray, like, you hear the neighbor cutting grass outside your house. It's, it's distraction. It's trying to pull you away from what the Lord wants us to do. It's, it's, it's when you're seeking the Lord in prayer and your phone not be, may not be ringing, but you may think, oh, I posted something pretty clever last night. I wonder how many people liked it. Or I shared a really good thought. I heard someone else share a quote, and I took their quote, and I put it in my own words, so now I'm going to look real smart, and I'm going to put it online. I know that happens. <laughs> I know that happened, and I look, and, oh, they didn't like it near as much as they should have. Or I put a funny meme online, and like, oh, you know, whatever. You get what I'm trying to say. Like, you feel that compulsion, and the next thing you know, it gets interrupted. Like, it would be really weird if I was walking with my wife holding her hand and we're just enjoying each other and I literally see a squirrel and I just do this. 
you like like I'm being being overly simplistic, but you've got to remove the distractions. You really do. That's why in chapter two it says, "Catch the little foxes." Why don't we catch them together? They're the things that's ruining ruining the vineyards. The vineyards are the things that produce the fruit, and so it's going after everything that gets in his way. And the Bible, just real quick here, the Bible is filled with example after example of people glancing at him. Not just famous evangelists or famous ministers, but it's filled with people. David, I'll lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. I lift my eyes, I glance at him, right? That's what he's doing. It's, it's, when, it's when Jesus was in the garden and he looked up. Granted, he was complaining, but he looked up and said, <laughs> he said, Father, if you could take this cup from me, do it, right? And then he says, well, but not my will, but your will be done. It's that moment of glancing. It's why Jesus would often get alone so he could look at the Lord. It's, it's Hebrews 12, 2, which says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is more than a glance. This is downright staring at him, right? It's, it's like, it's, again, it's, it's when you see your spouse and they, they come and they got this new out and you see them. Or, or when I first met my wife, I saw her across the way and I couldn't take my eyes off of her. It's, it's fixing. It's an obsession. It's not moving the eyes off, fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross we've taught this before what was the what was the joy that was set before him us yes. <laughs> jesus saw us living as sons and daughters living as beloved that was actually joyful for him to think and reflect upon that's what enabled him to endure the cross despising shame and then he sat down at the right hand of god see so so here's this picture of more than a glance, but becoming obsessed. And so I think it's this, the more you stare at something, the more you like something. And it's like, it's like when you go to the store and some of you see this one piece of furniture or you see this one thing and you see it one time, you're like, I kind of like that, but I'm not sure. And you go back the next week, you're like, I kind of like that a little bit more. And then you start thinking about it more and more and more and more. Then you get open on your phone and you haven't even looked on it online and it pops up on your phone too, right? Because it's always watching and listening. But, 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 but then you go and you get it because you have fixated on it. What would it look like if we begin to fixate on Jesus and, and it would begin to ravish, not only would it begin to ravish his heart, but it would begin to ravish our heart, which would ravish his heart, which would ravish our heart and go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all the days of our life. Yes. <laughs> Let me read just last few verses. I'm going to actually finish this chapter out. He says, you've made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a strand from your necklace, which is her righteousness is all that means. Now, verse 10 says this, how beautiful. I love this. He's ravished by her glancing. And she sa he says, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. 
How much better is your love than wine? Which he's actually repeating what he said in chapter one. When I think it's chapter one, one. Is it one, one or one, two? Yeah, it's one, two. It's where it says, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. He's reaffirming to her that not only is she intoxicating, but that she is better than any pleasure than all the pleasures that have ever been. So when the Lord looks at us, he says, you bring pleasure to my heart. And the fragrance of your oils and all kinds of spices, your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked up is my sister, my bride. A rock garden locked, a spring sealed up. Your shoots are like an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, henna and nard plants, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and along and, and aloes along with the finest spices. So he just goes on and on and on. He's doting over his bride when she glances at him. And this is what I love, verse 15. This is actually the one that I'm going to land on and bring it to a landing. I land on and bring it to a landing. He says, you are a garden spring, a well of fresh water and streams flowing flowing from Lebanon. You're a garden spring of flowing water. What in the world does that mean? It it means that as his heart is ravished, we understand like the Lord is self-sufficient, if you will, in that he doesn't need anything. He just is. Okay? He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He, he, he lacks nothing. But the one thing he desires is us to willingly want him. And when we willing, and, and like, again, I'm not talking about coming to church and doing stuff. I'm talking about us getting alone with him and actually enjoying him. I'm talking about getting in your car and you know what? I've listened to radio last five. I'm just going to turn the radio off today. I'm just going to talk to him. Like the streams actually bring refreshing to him, which is hard to understand, hard to wrap my mind around, but that's what that is. And what's fascinating to me is that as these streams, that 215, as those streams bring refreshing to him, as I glance at him, what's John, I know, you may not know this, but what's John seven thirty eight say? And f- out of their bellies or out of their womb will flow rivers, rivers of living water. So as I glance at him, it not only ministers to his heart, it actually brings forth transformation to the world around me. Like, how do I win the world? Go love him. How do I change the area around me? Go love him. How do I, how do I reach my lost neighbor? <laughs> love him. 
willingly, not begrudgingly. Like I, I could stand up here, like, and I used to do this, and I'm ashamed to say it. Like I could stand, I could guilt trip you all as the best I possibly could, and tell you read your Bible and pray, and and I could make you feel really, really guilty about it, and it'd probably work for about two or three days. But if we could get you to fall in love with Him. That that wouldn't be something we would even have to talk about anymore. But it would actually be something, it would be so elementary, if you will, or it'd be so basic or so fundamental, we wouldn't even have to talk about it. We'd talk about what we're going to do with all these sick people that get keep getting healed, right? What are we going to do with all the lack of space where we keep running out? To, or what are we going to do with, like, like how are we going to do all this stuff that we keep the Lord keeps saying? Or, or, or this, that, or you understand what I'm saying? It's... It's, it's if we could get this down, then I think everything else will take care of itself. The problem is, is that we want to run and do stuff. We, we shared on Wednesday night here. Wednesday night, Milton shared this beautiful word, which reminded me of the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, there's three themes that go in the book of Ephesians. It's sitting, walking, and standing. And what's amazing to me, and that's actually a book from Watchman Nee as well. I read years and years ago. But, but when you... The, the phrase sit or sitting is in there more than the phrase walking is in there. And the word, phrase like, I'm going to sit with Jesus, I'm seated with Jesus, that's more than walk in righteousness, walk in blamelessness. That's more in there than that. And then the next thing, when you get to the very last chapter, Ephesians chapter 6, it says, stand firm in the Lord right before you talk about the armor of God. And what's the armor of God? That's when you fight. That's when you war. And so if you look at it just by the weight of the of how many times that word is used, it's sit, 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 then walk, then stand. So maybe I should give my life to sitting with the Lord and maybe just maybe walking with the Lord will begin to take care of itself. And then maybe just maybe because he's my rear guard, which it says that twice in the book of Isaiah, maybe since he's my rear guard, I can stand firm, but I'm just going to give my life to sitting with him. It's a peculiar way of life. It's a peculiar lifestyle. And it's one that takes intentionality. And it's one that isn't noticed. It's one that you're, you, you, we're probably not going to ever get famous for doing that, right? You're probably not going to be on, uh, those that are ministers in this room, you're probably never going to be on TBN or something like that. I mean, I'm being serious. You're, you're probably never going to be on those things. But when it comes to eternal fruit, when it comes to generational legacy, as we talk about a lot here, with the young ones coming up after us, I, I happen to believe that we're going to put them in a better situation than we ever were. And they're going to see more fruit. And they're going to see more miracles. They're going to see more breakthrough because we've given our life to this one thing. Like David said, this one thing I've asked, this one thing that I must see, that I must, must dwell in the house of the Lord all the day, or, or, or dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all of the days of my life, gaze upon his beauty. It's just looking at him. Yeah. Amen. This is for you all. I just flipped it. They were having fun. 
You know why it's called a secret place? Because no one ever knows you're there. <laughs> you know why you should never take pictures of the secret place? Like you put your Bible right and your bookmark just right and your coffee cup just right. So dumb. You know why you shouldn't do that? Because you should never take a picture of an intimate thing. It's private. That's why, by the way, that's why Paul had this third heaven encounter with the Lord. And he said, there's some things that I'm not even, I'm permitted to speak about. Which that's a whole other thing, because maybe when you get alone with God, God starts speaking to your heart, and it's not for the world around you, it's for the world that's inside of you. That's a challenge for preachers, too, because we automatically think every time we hear the Lord, it's for our church, or we think if it's the people we're ministering to. More often than not, it's not. Most often, I've been finding it's for me, for him to change me. So, anyway, I hope you get it. Like, I hope we get this. How important it is to gaze at him. Whether that's through prayer, whether that's through reading the word. I heard Bill Johnson say this too, by the way, regarding the Bible. I'll give him credit where credit is due. But sometimes I've heard this excuse said that I can't remember what I read. I heard Bill Johnson say he can't remember what he had for lunch last Tuesday, but it still nourished him. He still had lunch. <laughs> I want to encourage you to get along with them. And I want to encourage you to begin to realize just what it does to his heart when you do it. Because there's moments when you do this and it feels like that you're in an empty room by yourself and no one's there. And that's where you're confronted with Either he's not real and he's not here and I'm crazy or he really is real and he really is here and even though I don't feel anything, I'm going to believe that he's just as real here as if I could see him face to face. And if you can do that, that's, it's all in the mind, but if you can do that, tune out the lies of the enemy that it's a waste of time Tune out the busyness of life saying you don't have time not to do this. I actually actually think you don't have time not to do that, if that makes sense. What evangelist was it? Help me, Lord. I think it was Billy Graham. I could be wrong. I think it was Billy Graham when he would have a whole lot to do in a day. I'm sorry, it was Luther. <laughs> big, big difference there. Martin Luther, when Luther had a lot to do every day, and they'd say, you got to do this, this, and this, and they'd ask him, you know, how did you get through the day with all the stuff you had to do? Luther would say, well, instead of praying for two hours, I prayed for four today when he was busier, meaning I know I need him more when I'm busy. 
Anyway, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. Oh, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I would pray that you give everyone a hunger and a thirst to spend time with you. I pray that you would get us so rooted in this beloved identity that we would just get obsessed with looking at you. <laughs> that we would, that all throughout our day, we would sneak as many peaks as we possibly could when we're at work, when we're at school, wherever we are, we're going to just keep giving you glances, knowing the effect that it has on your heart. That's what we're going to do, Lord. And, and I would pray, God, I would pray for those that have struggled in this area that you would just begin to give them a grace to go get alone with you. I pray that you would go give them a grace, Lord, to spend time with you. I pray, Lord, that you would remove any and all distractions that, were, that are in their life. If it's their phones, may they leave their phones in the other room, God. If, if, it's, if it's constantly ringing, may it not ring for that hour or however long it is, God. If it's the incessant need to check something, Lord, just quiet people's hearts so they don't have to. If it's loud noises that distract them, Lord, give them some quietness just for that time being, Lord. Lord, just make it feel like time is stopping during those moments. Lord, if we can worship for an hour and it feels like just five or ten minutes in this room, Lord, I would pray that you begin to help us to enter into times of seeking after you where it feels like it was just a moment, but it was in all actuality a very significant amount of time. Hmm. Let us begin to see your beauty, Jesus. I pray, Father, I pray that this just becomes a reality of our life. Thanks for listening to this week's message. The goal of River City Hope Church is to provide as many resources as we can for free. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to HopeForRiverCity.com. Again, that's Hope, the number four, RiverCity.com.